Father, thank You for that love that comes to us through Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives in Your children. Thank You for Your faithfulness that You never change. And I pray this morning as we open Your living Word that Your Spirit would touch it to our lives where we're at this morning. Encourage and strengthen and grow our faith. Empower us as we walk out of here to live it out in Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Okay, time for an honest answer here. Who is tired? <laughs> Man, I, I am tired this morning. I will confess that to you. And I think there's a couple of things at play in our house that have led to that. One is we're in the, the thick of potty training, which uh, comes at all times of the day. And I'm especially thankful to Carolyn. She has taken the, the brunt of that. She's a trooper. In fact, I was thinking this morning we could call her the super pooper trooper. <laughs> he, he's almost done. He's doing a good job. But boy, that, that, that is tiring if you've ever walked through that. Thankful it's almost over. Uh, maybe for you it's the, the rush of the holidays. It's supposed to be relaxing, but sometimes you do so much, you just feel like you need a holiday after the holiday. Maybe it's work, uh, something pressing on you at work, just beating down. For me, sometimes it's honestly, confession time, it's the spiritual marathon. Uh, running the, the marathon, as the New Testament calls it, not a sprint in this fallen world can, can beat on you. And even this morning, I was really feeling it. I, I, God, I believe, sometimes allows me to go through things that are, of course, for my own growth and strengthening and to get me to turn to Him, but they're also to pass on here. And I cannot say that I always enjoy them or would sign up for them, but I do believe that messages need to go through the messenger. It shouldn't just be something out here. As I'm studying God's Word, He's working it in my life and and today we're talking about our need for rest in Christ. And this morning, no joke, I'm out running at 6 o'clock, just putting together some final thoughts. Been studying this week for the message, and it's it just final thoughts. And man, I'm out there running and super tired. Like not physically, I'm out there running, but just inside. Like to the point where I told the first service I was tempted to call Aaron at 6.30 and just ask him to lead just a, an all-music worship morning because I'm worn down, man. Just It went through my mind. But what did it do? What did that feeling do? It led me to look up at the, it was a dark sky, stars are out there. And I said, God, I know I am not all-powerful. I feel weak right now. I'm very finite, but I know you are. I know you have all power. I need you. <laughs> I need your strength. And maybe you've been there. That's where God brought me this morning. And He carried me through and brought me here. But I think part of our problem with weariness in our culture is we live in a country, a culture that looks down on rest too. <laughs> Many people in this country look down on rest. Most people don't take their full vacation from work in our country because it's looked down on. They don't want to be looked down on. Gordon Dahl wrote this. He said, most middle class Americans tend to worship their work. To work at their play and to play at their worship. As a result, their meanings and values are distorted. 
their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair. And their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in search of a plot. That's deep and insightful, I think. And God knows we are made for rest. That's why this idea of rest goes all through the Scriptures. You encounter it in the Old Testament in the form of the Sabbath. And that very day is going to create a conflict again between Jesus and the religious leaders in Israel. We've seen Him in conflict with these guys already. First, over His forgiving the paralytic. Then, His feasting with tax collectors and sinners. And then him not fasting, and today it's about the Sabbath. Two different instances. And as we go through this, I hope we'll come out with, one, a proper application of rest from a biblical perspective and an understanding of how it can be misapplied. Okay, so let's start out in the field. Mark 2, 23, as one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, if you're like me, the the first thing that goes through my mind is, What in the world are the Pharisees doing out in the middle of a grain field? (laughs) I believe they're stalking Jesus. I just thought that goes together with grain too. (laughs) Not intentional, that's bonus. (laughs) But I believe they're watching him. They're looking to nail him anywhere they can. They're they're picking grain, Jesus' disciples, and the Pharisees are picking nits because they're nitpickers. (laughs) Right? Why else would they be out in this field? I don't know, maybe they're just out for a walk, but I think it was intentional. They're looking to nail Jesus, and they say, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, first question you got to deal with, is it really unlawful, according to the Old Testament, for the disciples to be doing what they're doing? And a couple things here. Deuteronomy allows provision for people going through fields to to pick things. As long as you don't bring your combine out there and you're, you're harvesting their crops, if you're hungry and you're going through someone's field, You're allowed to pick things. Now, what about the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath was an important Old Testament idea from God, right? Mentioned in Genesis, way back at creation. Sixth day of the week, you rest. You focus on God. You rest from your work. You recharge spiritually and physically. But the rules for it in the Old Testament were pretty general for the most part. Don't carry burdens. Don't transact your gainful employment. Don't do your work work on on Sunday, but the Pharisees were never content with what God put in the Old Testament. It had to be added to, to make it complete for them. So they added 39 at least restrictions for things you could not do on the Sabbath day. And the disciples, some believe, may have been breaking three of their rules by doing what they were doing. By picking the grain, in the Pharisees' eyes, they were reaping. Those disciples were reaping, and then they probably rubbed it together between their fingers. That's threshing. Got you for two. And then a third one, they're blowing that chaff away. Now they're winnowing. Boy, these these guys are really breaking the Sabbath in the, the Pharisees' eyes. What does Jesus say? 
Verse 25, he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If you know your Old Testament, you know David and his guys were on the run. They show up at the tabernacle. They're hungry. And the bread of the presence is these 12 loaves in the tabernacle that represent the 12 tribes in connection with God. And according to the law of God, only the priests were to eat that. But David and his guys were hungry. So the priest said, eat. And Jesus here, puts his stamp of approval on that and says, that is okay. That is okay. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Why? Ralph Earl says it this way. Human need is a higher law than religious ritual. Amen. That's what Jesus is driving at here. Now, you got to be careful with this. You can't be flexible with just any Old Testament commandment, okay? Some of them are pretty rigid, like you can't go out there and, and murder ever. You can't go out there and covet your neighbor's wife ever. But he's talking about ceremonial laws here. Human need is more important. Thomas Constable said it this way, Sabbath observance had to contain enough elasticity to assure the promotion of human welfare. A healthy appreciation of the Sabbath has to be a little bit like your favorite stretchy pants. <laughs> has to have a little give in it for, for human welfare. That's what Jesus is saying. And what's, what's going on here? Like God doesn't make rules just to make rules. It's important that we know that. All right? Rules that God makes always have a reason. We, he may not always tell us that reason. But often we see it. The Old Testament laws, first and foremost, we know to point us to our need for a Savior, but also to reveal God's glory and holiness, and often for the good of man. Okay? Not just rules for rules' sake. Like, we went out shooting a bow and arrow the other day on Mingus Mountain, our family and my parents and my brother's family, and we had a bullseye there. We knew what we were shooting for. Often, when God puts His law out there, He is... We know the heart of it. We know what he's shooting for. Because Jesus, when he summarized what's most important about the law, you remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What's that mean? If you're technically keeping the letter of the law, but you are not loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and not loving your neighbor as yourself, you've, you've missed his heart for his command, for for God's glory and in man's good. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now I want to talk to you about the Sabbath idea in the Old Testament. For the Jews, it was a reminder every week that God is our creator. He is our provider. Okay, you know why I believe that? When Moses first wrote about it, it was in Genesis 2, right after the six days of creation, Verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. 
And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You see the same creation idea when it comes up in the Exodus account of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When I read that, it's tied to creation both times. I think part of what has to go through their mind when they tie it back to that is God is the Almighty Creator. I am creation. He is my provider. It's a constant reminder that we are made for rest as finite creatures. Okay? We get a daily reminder of that that John Piper points out. Just the fact that you got to go to sleep every night is a reminder that you're a creation. And I'm a creation. He says it this way. Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Psalm 121.4 says, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep, but Israel will, for we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every day. Daily reminder, He is God, we are not. He is Creator, we are a creation. The Sabbath was a weekly reminder for Israel of that. So let me ask you, do you have a robust understanding that God is the Almighty Creator? And He is your provider. And are you resting in that today? Let's go on to a second scene. This one's in the synagogue. Another Sabbath, likely. Chapter 3, verse 1, if you have your Bibles. It says, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, there they are watching again, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Now think about a man with a withered hand. It's not good in any society, but in a society where a lot of work is manual, this may have well had a huge impact on his livelihood, right? In that culture, his ability to work well. They're watching Jesus to see whether he would heal. And I love that Jesus, he knows they're watching. He, I love that Jesus doesn't say to this guy with the withered hand, why don't you meet me outside afterwards? These guys really don't like me, and if I do this in here. <laughs> you know what Jesus does? He, he calls out to the man in front of him all, and he says, come here. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. And he looks at the leaders, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? 
but they were silent. Is Jesus' question a hard question? <laughs> no, it's relatively simple. Should he heal a man's hand on the Sabbath so he can work well on the rest of the week? Should God restore a man on the Sabbath? Is this hard? <laughs> no. But they were silent. Why? Verse 5 says, He looked around at them with anger. There's such a thing as holy anger. Jesus had it right here. Grieved at their hardness of heart. It was a hard question because they had hard hearts. Sometimes the simplest questions in life are impossible to answer for us simply because of a hard heart. We saw this in the previous chapter when Jesus was feasting with the tax collectors and sinners and they're like, why? Why would you do that? And he said, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You think about that statement. Is there anybody who's righteous before God in and of themselves? No. no. But in their hard hearts, they sure thought they were. And that's why they missed their need for him, right? And I thought about it like this the good news of Jesus is on a need to know basis. You need to know that you need Jesus. And if you know that this morning, you're in a good place. Come home. The reason many of these guys missed it was simply because of their hard hearts. And that's why this was a hard question for them. What does Jesus do? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The gauntlets thrown down. Verse 6 says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The Sabbath was a straw on the camel's back for these men. What Jesus did here. The Pharisees and the Herodians were normally not good friends, but what did they say? Enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they team up here against Jesus. Now, we said that in Exodus, in Genesis, when the Sabbath comes up, it, it emphasizes God as creator and provider for Israel. I want to show you in Deuteronomy, when Israel is on the border of the promised land and God has Moses walk through the commandments again, here it is tied to him being their redeemer. The one who redeemed them, bought them out of slavery and restored them to freedom. Okay, watch this. Deuteronomy 5.12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Here it is, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there you see it's to remind them He is your Redeemer, the one that restored you to freedom. I think we see a nice picture of the restoration of God on the Sabbath in this man's life with His hand. So you read these two encounters and if you're like me, you're thankful for the boldness of Jesus. Right? 
But you're also asking, okay, we're not part of the nation of Israel. We're part of the church of Jesus Christ in 2021 now. So what do we do with the Sabbath? Do we observe it? Do we not? If so, how and why? And I want to talk to you about a couple things. First, I want to talk to you about the secondary thing, the, the Sabbath day itself. I call it secondary because Paul calls it the shadow. Christ is the substance, okay? Now, many have looked at the New Testament and said all nine of... Uh, nine of the ten commandments are repeated explicitly in the New Testament for us to obey, right? But they've looked at the same New Testament and said, nowhere in the New Testament is the Sabbath explicitly commanded for believers in the church. And I agree with that. You read things that Paul says about the law. Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. He says in Romans 10.44, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 14.55, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, sort it out between you and God. Galatians 4.10 and 11. He's talking to a church that's being assaulted by Judaizers, telling these early Christians they have to keep the Old Testament law. And he says in Galatians 4, 10, and 11, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He's afraid they're going back to the Old Testament law. Colossians 2, 13 through 17. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. It's not just the record of debt. He says, with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, here's His therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Don't let anybody judge you based on what you do with the Sabbath. These are but a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So because of verses like that and the fact that it's not explicitly commanded in the New Testament, many believe we don't have to observe the Sabbath day. You'll find many authors who love the Lord and love the Bible that feel that way. You'll find others who, who lean more the way I do. And I'll, I'll tell you how I lean, and I share this humbly, because you're going to have to search this out for yourself in Scriptures where you land on this. For me, because of the fact that it comes up in the context of creation, way back in Genesis 2, long before Israel was a nation. Yes, Moses was writing that when he was with Israel, but it's about creation, right? I think this idea is one that mankind in general stands to benefit from. And when you see Jesus encounter these Pharisees, nowhere do you see Him downplay the idea of keeping the Sabbath. All you see Him doing is helping them understand it correctly. 
doing away with the false understanding. So my take on it is when you view it as a, a good gift from a creator God who knows his creation and knows our need for rest and refocus on him, my take is why would we not take advantage of it? That's where I fall. Like I said, I share that humbly. you got to sort it out. We also know in the New Testament, though, the, the days kind of shifted, right? Right In the, the Old Testament, the Sabbath was Saturday, right? You get to the New Testament, and verses like Revelation 1.10, John talks about the Lord's Day, which we believe is Sunday, and I'll share why in a moment. John, when he's writing Revelation, said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, some other Sunday indicators. 1 Corinthians 16.2. Paul tells the Corinthians to lay aside something for the offering on the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. So it makes sense that that would be the day of worship. Acts 27. Paul's in a city for seven full days. So he could have chosen any one of the seven days to celebrate the Lord's Supper with the church. But it says in Acts 20, verse 7, that he broke bread on the first day with them in that city. The, the Lord's Supper on the first day, which is Sunday. Now let me ask you a question. Did anything happen in the New Testament that was kind of revolutionary that could have shifted the whole idea? Resurrection. From resurrection, Easter... Yeah, how else do you get these men and women who have been faithful Jews doing it on Saturday their whole lives to shift days? You, you get a God in flesh arise from the dead. That'll do it. <laughs> so now it's shifted to, to Sunday. So my take is why, why would you not weave this rest into your schedule? I see it as a gift from a good creator, but wherever you fall, let me give you a couple cautions. If you do choose to observe the Sabbath even today. Do not observe it in such a way that it's more of a burden than a blessing. Don't do that. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They had turned a blessing from God into a burden on themselves and other people. Don't do it. I think about it like this. I've been looking through a list of the 100 coolest inventions in 2020, and one of them... It's called the Sarcos Robotics Guardian Exo Full Body Powered Exoskeleton. It's a robot suit. <laughs> you remember RoboCop? It's kind of like that. Guys on construction sites or ladies can put this thing on and it enables them to lift 200 pounds with ease. You can lease it for $8,500 a month if you want one for your company. 200 pounds, it's useful at work, but imagine, imagine the worker who wears that home and then realizes he's unable to hug his wife because he'll crush her, <laughs> or he's unable to throw his little boy in the air because he'll throw his head into the ceiling. That would be a horrible misapplication of a beautiful thing. Why? Because it's used incorrectly. If you're going to observe the Sabbath, don't do that. Don't make it more of a burden than a blessing. Enjoy it as the blessing God intended it to be. Give Him glory for it. Focus on Him and allow Him to fill you up. Okay? 
Secondly, don't hide in the cornfield waiting to nail other people that don't celebrate it just like you do. That's what the Pharisees were doing. (laughs) Don't get so caught up in the regulations that you miss the importance of people and their needs and you fail to, to realize their freedom before God to follow His lead on this important topic. So that day, I said that was the secondary application, right? Now I want to talk to you about the primary application. The day was the shadow. Christ is the substance. That's what Paul said. The primary application is Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't get so caught up in the shadow of the day that you miss the reality of the rest that only comes in a relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's the, the ultimate reality of it all. Hebrews 4 talks about this rest. Jesus talks about it. Matthew 11, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's in Jesus, in a relationship through faith with Jesus, that we find the rest that the Sabbath day points to. As we close, I want to tell you, whether you know it or not, every one of us in this room is made to have rest in our schedule. And I I think about it, ultimately it's a matter of balance in our lives, right? If you keep running, running, running and never rest, what's going to happen? You are going to run until you're run down. Ever tried that? (laughs) Now go the other way. If all you ever do is rest... What happens? You start to become restless, right? It's about balance. Listen to this quote. Every now and then, go away, have a little relaxation. For when you come back to your work, your judgment will be surer, since to remain constantly at work will cause you to lose power of judgment. Go some distance away, because then the work appears smaller, and more of it can be taken in at a glance and lack of harmony or proportion is more readily seen. Now, workaholics in the room are saying, hey, surely that's some slouch that said that. <laughs> you know who said that? Leonardo da Vinci. Guy who got some stuff done. Now, I knew he was a painter and a sculptor, but the list goes on. He was also an architect, an engineer, a city planner, a scientist, an inventor, an anatomist, a military genius, and a philosopher. (laughs) So when he speaks about rest, my ears perk up a little. When I think about this balance, I, 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 I phrase it like this. Sabbath rest is not an escape from real life but an important reminder of what real life is and a recharge for for living it out. Okay, when we see it like that, I think we're getting it. It's a reminder that, listen, you are not all-powerful. Nor am I. You are not all-knowing. Nor am I. You are not in control. Nor am I, but we know a God who is. The question is, will we trust Him? Will we trust Him? About 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on Him 
because he cares for you. I'll close with a poem from the Gospel Herald. Hear this as the invitation of Jesus. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. O weary one, bow down with care. Come lean upon my breast. There is no load I cannot bear, nor burden that I will not share. So cast on me thine every care. Come unto me and rest. All ye that labor, come to me, and I will give you rest. Though heavy laden you may be, come lean upon my breast. He spoke to me so tenderly, come take my yoke and learn of me. My burden shall rest light on thee, and I will give you rest. Heavy laden, tired with care, I came to him for rest. There I laid my burden down and leaned upon his breast. He gave me strength from day to day. He guided me along life's way. And now my soul must ever say, praise God. He gave me rest. Have you found that rest in Jesus? As we prepare to remember his sacrifice on the cross through communion, I, I thought about rest. And the ultimate rest comes when we cease trying to earn God's favor by our own works and we turn in repentance and faith to accept His sacrifice to wash our sins away. That's why Paul says in Romans 4, 5, the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's the deepest rest that will last forever. I want to invite you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to, to take the elements that are at your chair. We're going to remember that through the, the bread and the juice. You just peel the top back for the bread and then the bottom part for the juice. We'll read from 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul wrote, He said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, I thank you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ that brings the only rest that will last for eternity, a rest of being right with you having a relationship with you where we call you Abba, Father. Eternity with you. Thank you for that rest. I pray that all who know it would enter into it more fully this week. Just live in faith that it's true and live with the joy and peace that come as a result. And if any here are restless, I pray they'd heed the words of Augustine, who said our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. Draw them home.
And Lord, as, as believers in this world, help us to model what trust in God looks like. Yes, we want to work hard. Yes, we want to work well. But we want to be people who know when it's time to rest. And who rest well because we trust you. You are our creator, our provider, our redeemer, our restorer. We can rest because you never sleep nor slumber. Help us to cast our cares on you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are all powerful. You never run out of power. You're never weary. You're never weak. But when we are, we can come to you. Find the strength we need. In our weakness, you are strong. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, as we prepare to take our offering, I pray that be one more act of worship from hearts that say thank you, hearts that say we trust you, and Lord, uh, hearts that acknowledge that we're but stewards of the gifts you've given. Help us to use them wisely. In Jesus' name.